North, it's good to see you. Come on, can we clap? It's good to be in God's house. Really clap. It's good to be here. Everyone joining us online, glad that you're joining us today. And hey, we're in week two. Everybody say week two. Say it one more time. Say week two. We're in week two of this uh, conversation in God we trusted. And um, I'm going to preach like you're really ready to listen today, um, whether you are or, or not. I'm just going to preach that way. And, um, and I really believe that what God placed in my heart, though it be unique, and I've never really shared this much um, history in, a, in the time that I had on the platform, I really believe that um, I just feel compelled to share this with you today. Uh, how many of you believe the principle that you should always be a student and you should always keep learning? And in order to continue to lead well, you need to continue to learn. Good leaders are good learners. And, and um, sometimes it's easier just to live with what you have and, um, and not desire anymore. I'm not talking about things. I'm talking about knowledge and, and wisdom from the Word of God. But I really believe that in this season, God is calling the church, the church, those who are sons and daughters of God, to lead in a supernatural way. I really believe that. I believe that he desires that we come back and acknowledge him um, of who he is as our first love and to center our world and our thoughts and our daily devotions around who he is. And um, I, I want us, as we look back today on the founding of our nation, as we look back in history, which truth be told, it's his story history, um, we're going to see the hands um, of Jesus uh, throughout it. And I pray as we do this that it will illuminate something in you. Not just this, I this idea of, oh, I never knew that. That's a fascinating um, uh, story you shared. Or that's an intriguing fact. I don't want it to be that. I want you to recognize the sovereignty in the hand of God. I want you to see it in the founding of our nation and to know that God's not done with this nation yet. He's got a lot in store for us. We are a beacon of hope around this globe and a place where the gospel gets preached and declared around the globe. And I believe it's going to continue on in greater ways than we've ever seen in history before. And, and I believe you play a part in it. I don't believe you're a bystander in this. I don't believe you're a spectator. I don't believe you're someone just watching what's happening. I believe if you are redeemed by the blood of Jesus, if you've been called as a son and daughter of God, that he's called you, commissioned you as ministers of reconciliation for such a time as this. And for many of us, we need to get out of the mindset of like, I go to church and start saying, no, I am the church and, and I'm going to do something in the world that God's called me to live in. Can you say Amen. Psalm chapter 9, verse 10, last week we talked about this. It says, those who know your name trust in you. For you, Lord, have never forsaken. You've never abandoned. You've never deserted those who seek you. We can seek a lot of things in this world, but Matthew 6, says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. It's in our own weakness and our own insecurity and our own selfish ambitions that we seek after everything else, and when we acquire the things that we seek after and realize they're nothing but emptiness, once I acquire them, we're left kind of saying, well, God, maybe I can pursue you, and, and maybe that's the thing that I need, and once you seek first his kingdom, kingdom and his righteousness, you realize something, that everything else that you've been spending time chasing after is not worth it, to spend the 80 years of your life pursuing stuff and to only realize that a portion of your life that I get to live for all eternity with God 
and that we should take this life that he's given us, that scripture says is life here on earth is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. To live lives as if we are doing it eternally minded. As I began to dig in the history books and studying different things, how many of you know when you're learning new things, it's, it's fascinating at first, and then you realize it's like, it's like a black hole. There's like, you realize how little you really know. You're learning stuff, and you're like, oh, man, I, I think I got it. And you open up another book, and you're like, oh, my gosh. You know, and then there's another book, and then there's a sequence, and there's a first edition and a second edition. And you're like, I just, I was fascinated to learn just recently that the very first ships that came to the shore of America, they made the, Disney made the movies the movie Pocahontas. You ever see that? No one saw it? <laughs> you want to know how awkward it is when no one says nothing? No one saw it. You know, my daughter's here. She'd be the only one in the back saying, I saw it, Dad. Okay, uh, remember John Smith, the guy they made that, that famous uh, actor they made the movie after. And uh, I want to tell you, Disney didn't have it all right, okay? They, they did their best, but um, it doesn't accurately portray um, the landing of and the arrival into this nation. One of the most fascinating things that I learned, though, about that time was in 1607, when about 100 or so men and young boys arrived on the shores, um, there was a pastor among them, and his name was Pastor Robert Hunt. And when he came to shore, he put a cross into the ground, and he made a declaration, a prophetic one. And as you study through history, you find that it did not only happen in Cape Henry in the shores of Virginia, but it happened in Massachusetts. It happened in New, York's, New York City with George Washington. In the church, do you remember when the, trade, uh, the world towers uh, came down, that one old church that stood very close to them that was unaffected by it? It was in that building as well that we see over time in the course of history that proclamations, prophetic declarations, and prayers were given. And I want to read to you this prayer. This is what he prayed in 1607. He said, we do hereby dedicate this land and ourselves to reach the people within these shores with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so raise up godly generations after us. And with these generations, take the kingdom of God to all the earth. May this covenant of dedication remain to all generations as long as the earth remains. And may this land, along with England, be evangelist to all the world. My man, I never learned that in school. <laughs> and you begin to see the foundations in the hand of God in the history of our nation. And you see how at the beginning, though human and, and, and broken and insecure and filled with mistakes, men and women came into this nation with a heart after God. Repentance is important. And as disciples and followers of Jesus, we understand that repentance is not a sign of weakness but it's an understanding of wisdom, an understanding that repentance, even not only for our mistakes, but for generations before us, for whatever wrong was committed, repentance is a doorway into freedom. And so repentance is something that we don't shy away from, but we pray and ask for repentance. There was a commonality amongst the people that came to the shores of America. They wanted to be free. 
They all had a dream and a purpose, and they wanted to fulfill this American dream as we would frame it today. They wanted to worship God without interference or oppression. They wanted liberty and freedom. I remembered my time that I lived in Virginia Beach, and I've shared stories with you about Uncle Mort and Aunt Rosalie, and and they were... uh, a couple that I had the privilege to stay with while I studied in Virginia Beach in seminary. And Mort, as I shared in the past, was um, a, a captain in the Navy for uh, nearly 30 years and, did, and served about uh, 10 years in the Pentagon. And he was a brilliant man. He was an attorney. Um, and he, he would always be teaching me, always be teaching me. And it didn't matter what it was, if I had a long day or whatnot, and every once in a while, Rosalie would be like, that's enough, leave them alone, you know? And, and I'd be like, oh, thank you, Rosalie, you know? And then he'd start right back up again. And, and but every, every dinner, we would sit down together, and we would pray, and I had the privilege of watching them grow old together, love one another, and love God. It's one of the coolest things to watch. They have since gone to be with the Lord, and I remember watching after every dinner, we would sit there, and we would watch Jeopardy. And we didn't just watch Jeopardy, it was very much a participation. It was really the time for Mort to show off, you know. And he treasured his time to show off in front of everyone. And so we'd be finished, and he'd always be looking at his clock, and he'd be looking down, and he'd be like, okay. And even if we weren't done, he's like, I'm not missing Jeopardy. And, and, the, and, and every night, I'm not kidding you, he, he got like every single one right. Every single one. And, and usually, if he got one right that he felt was impressive, he'd look at me and be like, do you know what that word means? And I'd be like, no, I don't. And he's like, well, the dictionary's right over there. Well, you go over there and get it. And I'm like, I don't even know how to spell that word. And he'd be like, I'll tell you, bring the dictionary. I mean, I'm in, co- I'm in graduate school, and I remember like walking over to get a dictionary. like, what am I doing, you know, and, and grabbing this book. And he'd be like, come on, here, let me show you. And I'm like, ah. Oh. I knew one question that he didn't know, and the answer was, who is Britney Spears? And... Uh, <laughs> And I always had to remind him of that. I, I got one that you didn't know. He's like, now who is this Britney Spears person? You know, and um, I heard the word liberty used so much growing up and the word freedom. And I don't really know if I understood the significance of those words. By definition, liberty is the state of being free within a society, free from oppression restrictions imposed by an authority on, the way, on, on one's way of life, behavior, beliefs, or political views. Liberty and freedom, if you're not careful, you will think that they are a concept produced by our government or by a political organization. But liberty and freedom are not found in, have not been conceived in government, but they were formulated as a biblical idea idea that came from God. Galatians chapter 5 verse 13 says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. It's why people during the time came to America in boatloads to live in liberty and freedom and devotion to God. It's why today people still want to come to America. I remember the first time I went over to Europe, I, I had an opportunity to go to, to the Scandinavian countries, and I was visiting, and, and I was hanging around um, peers, and, and they began to ask me questions, and there was this real kind of like, well, you Americans, you know, and, and after a few days of just being ridiculed, the same person would come up to me and be like, man, I just, I just, I just wish I could be in America. I just wish that I, you know, I had that, that, that. 
and he was pointing at my passport. I wish I could live there. I wish I could be at that place. It's the greatest place in the world. And I was hearing someone talk about a place that I lived and took for granted that they desired to be belong to. Never heard that before. Never thought of it. It never crossed my mind to understand what we've received and why so many people, even around the globe, desire to live in this nation of liberty and freedom. Early on, as, as the nation began to move forward and this formation of, the, of, the, of this nation began, you began to see that the very thing that people fled from England, they began to experience here in the New World. They, fl they fled because of oppression and the lack of liberty. But it wasn't very long when the 13 colonies who were here began to feel the same oppression that they left. They began to get taxed and it began to increase in great significance. And it began to become, you know, do this and don't do that and do this and you can't do that. And from someone who was thousands of, mile, thousands of miles across the Atlantic Ocean. And so early on this idea... This concept began to stir amongst the people. It says in the early 1770s, and I read this as a quote, that more and more colonists became convinced that Parliament intended to take away their freedom. In fact, the Americans saw a pattern of increasing oppression and corruption happening all around the world and believed that Parliament was determined to bring its unruly American subjects to heel. Britain began to prepare for war in early 1775, and the first fighting broke out in April in Massachusetts. In August, King George declared the colonists in a state of open and avowed rebellion, and for the first time, many colonists began seriously considering cutting ties with Britain. The publication of Thomas Paine's stirring pamphlet, Common Sense, in early 1776 lit a fire under the previously unthinkable idea and the movement of independence was now in full swing. Thomas Jefferson was chosen and selected to draft the Declaration of Independence that was to be presented to the king and the colonists and to the new world. The goal was simple, to rally troops, foreign allies, and to let people know that they were forming a new nation. The beginning of this document, we see a fascinating expression or a passage that many of us are familiar with. It says, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And just from that phrase alone, we can learn a lot about the founding fathers and the foundation of America. Perfection was not present amongst the men. Perfection would not be found in the years to follow. Perfection would not be found even today. But the heart and many of those who founded this nation had a pursuit of God. And they recognized certain things that could not be granted by a government. They could not be granted by a document or by a political party or even by a king. They were given by God. And for the longest time, I always thought that the uniqueness was what was drafted on 
the papers of the founding of our country or the political structure. And while all of that is significant in and of itself, the gold of our nation is found in the acknowledgement of God. To acknowledge God at the core of its foundation. You know what they were saying? All of them. We need God. We need God. We cannot do this alone. We cannot do it in our own strength. It's impossible for us to acquire, to acquire our desires and to forfeit God at the center of it. Even those who were often identified through history as being individuals who would never be Christians were quoted as saying such things, Benjamin Franklin being one of them. As to Jesus of Nazareth, in my opinion, I think the system of morals and his religion, as he left them to us, are the best the world has ever seen or will likely see. It was also Franklin who initiated prayer during a crisis moment in the Constitutional Convention. It was also Franklin who saw the value of faith and work in his friend, in the renowned evangelist George Whitfield. Thomas Jefferson even stated himself that the Christian religion is the best religion that has ever been given to man. As a statesman and a president, he declared that it was clear that without faith, there would be no reason for virtue. Everyone that came to America believed that every man, woman, as they drafted the Declaration of Independence, and every child, they were created in the eyes of God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The second point that they all gathered around this ideology was that all people have rights and they cannot be taken away. What does unalienable rights mean? Well, I had to go back to the dictionary. And I began to pen through it. I was like, what is unalienable rights? I don't know. Is it aliens? What, what does it mean? What does it actually mean? I don't know. Maybe you're smarter than I am. You probably are. But as I look through it, it says that it is not transferable to another. Not capable of being taken away or denied. They acknowledge that what you have is not been granted by a government, but bestowed to you by God. And given to you by God. As you continue to read, you, you learn some things. Abraham Lincoln said in the Gettysburg Address, he said, America was conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. America was founded on godly biblical principles, not seen at the time in other parts of the world. In early America, there was known this expression of the golden triangle of freedom. And I was... Never exposed to this. I never heard about it until my preparations for today's message. This was a concept or an ideology that was quite well known back in the day. And for nearly 200 years, this was taught in schools across the country. But over the last 50 to 60 years, this concept has been taken out of schools and textbooks and replaced with more secular ideology. This golden triangle of freedom has three basic parts. Basically convinced or, or presented that if any one of these parts were to be dismantled, that the entire structure of our government would fall apart. And the first is freedom. The second is virtue. And the third is faith. And each one of them, in order to have freedom, one must have virtue. In order for one to have virtue, one must have faith. And in order for faith to prosper, one must have 
freedom. And so freedom, virtue, and faith complete as Mr. Guinness would describe as the golden triangle of freedom. And at first glance, I was like, oh, this is just like an educational philosophy type thing. Like, it probably doesn't have much depth to it. What does it really mean? But it's quite significant. And there was a reason it was always taught in school. There was a reason it was the, the format or the beginning of education. Why? Because liberty and freedom don't just happen on accident or by default. They have to be intentionally done. Freedom requires virtue. What is virtue? Virtue is having good morality and character. And without good morality and character, freedom cannot begin to exist. As you turn through the Word of God, you find out the result of what happens when people live under, the own, under their own umbrella of morality. Turn to Judges chapter 17. It says, all the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And if you want to find some horrific stories, turn to the book of Judges. In today's culture, we, we've, we've dismantled character and morality, and we've replaced them with spirituality and mysticism. And whatever you see is right. And so whatever you deem good, good character and virtuous, then you do that. And whatever you see as good character and virtuous, then you do that. And the problem is, is there's no stable foundation to build upon. But the early father said in order for freedom to be maintained, one must have a good foundation of character and morality. In order for virtue to be maintained, it requires faith. The fascinating thing today is that everyone is being told to place their faith in anything and everything but God. Trust this and, and trust that. Trust your 401k. Trust this political party. Trust this leader. Trust this organization. Trust this spirit. Trust yourself. Trust your family. Trust your friends. Trust your spouse. But I need to tell you something. At the beginning of the nation, there was, there was this, this divine pull to recognize that there is one person we trust. And his name, his name is above every other name. And it's that to whom we, we focus upon and fix our eyes to. His name is Jesus. Amen. Thomas Jefferson said this. God, who gave us life, gave us liberty. Can the liberties of a nation be secure when they have removed a conviction that these liberties are the gift of God? Indeed, I tremble for my country when I reflect that God is just and that his justice cannot sleep forever. We're a nation that honored God and recognized our need of him. And may I say this to you today with a sincere heart that May we be cautious as to how we speak of those who we do not know or even to those who we know. May good character and morality begin to be demonstrated in your home, in your marriage, and with your friends. May your reaction to those who do not demonstrate good character and morality be one that shows you have it and are not without it. May we learn to live as upright people before God not pointing fingers at people and yelling and name-calling. I live in my home with four young children, 
And at, at times it's hard to distinguish whether I'm at home with my young children or I'm watching a, a news channel. Everyone is blaming somebody. It's their fault. They did this. She did that. They, they took my clothes. They took my toothbrush. They did this. It's their fault. It's their fault. Can I tell you, can we be a people who focuses other people's eyes on Jesus, who brings people back and says, listen, any solution that's presented must have God in the midst of the equation. If he's omitted from the equation, there will be no healing. There will be no restoration. Listen, I believe now more than ever before that God's looking to his, his children. Looking to his children and say, this is the time. This is the time. You have been called. You have been set apart. You have been chosen for such a time as this. So when everyone's saying, hey, look over here, and look over here, we got to focus on this, we got to focus on that, this is the issue, and this is the issue, you say, no, 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 let's fix our eyes on Jesus, let's focus upon Jesus, and when we do that, God will begin to heal not only our home, but our towns, and our cities, and ultimately our nations. Faith requires freedom, amen? Faith. When I say that faith requires freedom, it's kind of, it's, it's confusing because you say that in some of these totalitarian nations and these nations that have dictators such as China and even at times in Afghanistan and Iraq, these, these places, when, when, when their faith was oppressed, the church grew. So I don't say that faith requires freedom in the essence for it to grow, but in its fullness, I believe that that. That God has given us freedom in this nation so that our faith can be demonstrated greatly as a beacon of light throughout the globe. Not just for ourselves, not to just, to just say, yeah, we got, we got freedom over here to express our faith. But may our faith be in, expressed in such a way that it brings freedom to people around us. Let's not focus our eyes so much on what we've obtained in the flesh. But may we fix our eyes on what we've obtained in the spirit. That we have eternal life in Christ Jesus. And there are people in our worlds, in our jobs, in our families and communities that are walking lost. Looking at the world for solutions and answers. And we as the church are known according to scripture as ministers of reconciliation. Don't look for a pastor. Don't look for somebody else. God's going to use you. He's going to call you. He's going to stir in your heart. The Holy Spirit's going to prompt you to make a phone call to somebody, to visit someone at their job, to call somebody. And you're saying, I don't know what to say. Don't worry about it because the scriptures say that the Holy Spirit will give you utterance to what to say. Just be present. Just be obedient and just show up. That's how God does it. God wants people that will fix their eyes on him in seasons of chaos and confusion. I want to close with this last story. I remember being fascinated by George Washington. I don't know if it was just because when I was younger, I always saw him in the photos and had the American flag on his horse, you know, on his like beautiful horse. And it's like, I don't know why he has, it's like he has a wig on, but other than that, everything looked great. And, um, but I was just fascinated with George Washington and I never knew this story. I want to read it to you. It's a short little excerpt that I pulled as a quote, but it says at the end of the American Revolution, the Continental Congress was in financial trouble. Essentially, every colony wanted to do their own thing we can kind of relate to that where every state in our union now wants to do their own thing now we don't want to be like them we don't want to be like them we want to do our own thing well the same had happened after the revolutionary war and everyone was doing their own thing 
Many bitter revolutionary soldiers didn't think that they were going to get paid and many began contemplating that this new country would be better off with a monarch. The title of king was offered to General George Washington to be King George I of the United States of America. However, Washington refused. They had just won a battle for freedom from an oppressive monarch and he was not about to return this new country into the hands of such a system. Washington's refusal, refusal astonished many. And England's King George III himself said that if this, I love how he addresses it, that if Washington did not take the offer, that he would be the greatest man alive. Why didn't Washington take the offer? Most men given such an opportunity would always say yes. The difference between him and many leaders today was his character. He was one that looked to preserve and uphold the God-given liberties that people desired, not to seek out more power for himself at the expense of other people. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 5 calls us as sons and daughters of God. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ can you bow your heads and close your eyes I want to pray for you before we go today the Bible says that all of us are in need of God it doesn't even ask us our opinion. Like, do you think you are in need of God? Many of us who might be self-righteous say, no, I'm fine. Thank you. I appreciate the offer, but I'm okay. You may be okay now, my friend, but at some point you will stand before your creator, the God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the author and the perfecter of our faith. You will stand before him and give an account on what did you do with what he gave you in the message of his son, Jesus Christ. What will you do with Jesus? Some people have denied him, said, I can do it on my own. You may get through this life on your own, but you have to live for all eternity. And God sent his son, Jesus, from heaven to earth. Didn't ask you to strive to heaven in perfection. He did the work on your behalf. He sent his son from heaven to earth to live, to die, a death that he did not deserve so that you could live a life that you don't deserve. And so he offers you salvation. And many times when salvation is offered, people are like, well, I appreciate that, but like, uh, I got to get some things together. I'm okay. My friend, without Jesus, you're not okay. None of us have been promised tomorrow. The Bible says that our life is like a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. And the only way that you're promised eternal life with God in heaven is if you surrender your life today in this time on earth that you have, call on the name of Jesus, repent of your sins and say, God, I need you. I can't save myself. I need you to save me. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8, it says, by grace through faith you are saved. My friend, you don't need to go home and fix things up. I need you to know something. You've done enough already. You can't deal with the addiction. You can't deal with the broken marriage. You can't deal with the behavior issues, your attitude issues. You can't do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. You need God living inside of you. And so just come as you are. It says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you shall be saved. 
If you're a believer in this place or online watching, I pray that you're praying for those who are getting ready to make this decision. You play a role at the end of every service when people say yes to God. Not to just be a spectator in this moment, but to pray and to believe that God will draw people into himself and people will respond and say yes to Jesus. So if you're watching online or you're here today and you're ready to receive Jesus, I want to lead you in a prayer. You're not going to say it alone. We're going to say it together. The Bible says believe it in your heart. On the other side of this prayer, the Bible describes you as a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. Come on, church, let's say this prayer together. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, I receive your son Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. I believe that he died on the cross and was raised to life. Forgive me of my sins and come into my heart. I am now a Christian. Christ now lives in me. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's clap for everybody. Let's really clap for everyone that said yes to Jesus today. You played a part in that. Come on, why don't you stand to your feet before we go today? And I want you to know something, church. That as a team, um, we're praying for you and believing God's best for you in, in this season of life. And sometimes we find ourselves in weird places because we're trying to figure out things that God never asked us to figure out. He requires us to trust in Him, even when it seems like things are crazy. <laughs> Abraham was asked to sacrifice his only son. After waiting years. And God says, I want you to do this. I can't imagine what that must have been like. But you know what the scripture says? That he had faith and he had hope and he had a trust in God. That God would provide. And I just want you to know that sometimes you are, you're, you're twisting yourself up emotionally and being filled with anxiety and stress about things that God's never asked you to figure out or fix. He's required us to trust in Him and place our hope and trust in Him. And so in crazy, chaotic seasons, we can lift our eyes and say, God, I thank you that you're above all this, that your way will be done, that your will would come from heaven to earth, that you will help restore my marriage, that you'll help restore relationships, that you'll provide for my family, that you'll deal with the sickness that I'm dealing with, whatever it may be. I want to pray for you today before you go. For everyone who said yes to Jesus, I want you to know we have a gift for you before you go today. I know you might be like, I just got to get to my car. That's fine. Um, but I'd love for you to just on your way out, grab this New Testament Bible. It's a gift from me to you. Um, there's some uh, material in here that'll just talk to you about what to do next in your journey with God. You weren't meant to do life alone. I know some of you are like, no, this is great. I don't need to tell anyone. I can just go home. Now, that may be your reaction, but you're called to do life with other people. We want to celebrate with you. We want to pray with you, encourage you. If you need prayer for anything, our Next Steps team um, are available to pray with you immediately after service. To those online, man, we have an amazing team. They just set up a ton of individuals, leaders, pastors that are online right now waiting to chat with you to encourage you if you made a decision to follow Jesus and to pray with you wherever you find yourself today. So um, listen, I want you to know, church, we're here for you. And uh, whatever you need, let us know. And we'll do the best we can to serve you. Can you stretch your hands to heaven? Let me pray for you before you go. Father, I thank you that you've called us that you've chosen us, God, that you've set us apart. And Father, I pray that, that we can recognize the liberty and the freedom that we have in this nation. May virtue and character and morality be something we focus upon in our marriages and in our home and in our close relationships. And Father, may our faith, more than ever before, be a beacon of hope and light to the people around us. May we acknowledge that our faith is not in any system or person or object, but our faith resides in you and you alone. Father, I thank you that you guide us 
in confusing times, that you are the light in the midst of darkness. And so, Father, use us as we go today. We rebuke sickness in the name of Jesus, Father. If anyone is here right now dealing with it or watching online, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus, in the name that is above every other name, that sickness must go in the name of Jesus. Father, we pray for restoration of family and marriages, God, in the name of Jesus, that you would restore and mend brokenness. Father, we rebuke pride and arrogance, Father. May it go. May the peace of God consume hearts right now in marriages, Father, in relationships. God, I thank you that you've called us for such a time as this. May our faith increase and may fear depart. Father, in your precious and holy name we pray. A faithful church said, amen. God bless, guys.